Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Debrief. This week, Pope Francis turns his attention to the United States. We're also going to cover his papal trip to Mongolia, and an entire family is beatified. This and more in just a second. Hey, Mike, welcome to the show. Busy couple of weeks, hasn't it been? Yeah, sorry about last week. Things are just getting away from us and back to school and... Oh my goodness! But I think, I think the Monday afternoon <laughs> schedule. Let's try to work. stick to it. Well, here, this is what happens when volunteers show up and try to cover church news: is you just get slammed with the amount of questions and follow-up articles and stuff. So thanks to everybody who has been supporting this journey so far. Stay tuned to the end for an invite to continue supporting us. So welcome to the debrief. It's a weekly show where we talk about news, questions, and controversies facing the Catholic Church. I'm Dominic de Souza, the founder of Smart Catholics. And I'm Mike Lewis, the co-founder and editor of Where Peter Is. All right, let's get into today's stories. We have the Holy Father and Archbishop Pierre have turned their attention to the United States. So, Mike, it's an ongoing story. Uh, but since our last episode, there's been a lot of discussion coming from Pope Francis and Archbishop Pierre regarding the opposition to the Synod in the U.S. Church. Are you suggesting they're paying more attention to it than usual? Yeah, I think... Um... So I'm trying to remember where we left off uh, a couple of weeks ago. I believe at that point, um, Father Antonio Spadaro, we talked about how uh, that dialogue with the Portuguese Jesuits uh, had been um, released. Um, the conversation took place in early August, but this was a this was a, it was a publication of this private conversation that took place immediate like i believe it was immediately before um the pope left for mongolia but then on the way to mongolia and then during the press conference on the way home pope francis was asked specifically about u.s catholics he uh talked a lot about ideologies um another thing is that archbishop pierre who is the u.s papal nuncio to the United States. He's going to become a cardinal at the end of the month. He's originally from France. He's uh, 77 or 78 years old. He's approaching 80, but he'll still be a voting cardinal. And, and usually the tradition is that nuncios aren't made cardinals until they until they come home. But it, it turns out that two nuncios, both Archbishop Pierre and the uh, nuncio to Italy, are both being made cardinals. Um, Archbishop Pierre was in Rome. He was interviewed by Vatican News, and he was asked about uh, the American church and, and what was holding the American church back. And obviously, there was a lot of talk about fear about the upcoming synod, rumors, false narratives, these ideas that the synod is going to change church doctrine. Is, uh, it's, it's a message that keeps coming, keeps coming forward. Uh, Bishop Strickland has made it sort of the centerpiece of hopefully the tail end of his time in Tyler, Texas. And there are a lot of other, there are a lot of other bishops and bloggers and columnists and social media personalities that are trying to, I believe, spread fear among the American Catholic population, good people, people who are well-intentioned, people who want to live out their faith. But there's this narrative that something bad is going to happen at the synod and 
so yeah, this I, it seems to be mounting. The Senate is less than a month away, and I think that they are just preparing for something to happen. So there was a book that was sent out to every deacon, priest, and bishop in the United States um, with a foreword by Cardinal Burke, and it called the Synod on Synodality a, quote, Pandora's box. What yes, yes. So uh, basically what um, Cardinal Burke, Cardinal Raymond Burke, who we've written about many times for years, he's probably the highest ranking opponent of Pope Francis. He's consistently against Pope Francis. He uh, seems to reject everything that Pope Francis teaches, envisions, says. Uh, he recently, in this, um, he wrote a forward to a book that was published by the uh, by Tradition, Family, and Property, which is, uh, I guess you could say it's a far-right nationalist traditionalist group that originated in Brazil, but it's also mm -hmm. present in the United States. Uh, the book is a, it's a hundred question and answers about, um, uh, about church doctrine and the Synod and so forth. But mm -hmm. it's somewhat amazing that this mass mailing mm -hmm. campaign from this group that's been condemned by the Brazilian bishops for decades, mm -hmm. uh, that they so openly are publishing this book, sending it to everyone, and that a cardinal of the Catholic Church was willing to sign on to it, endorse it, write the forward to it, and and all it does is, I mean, it demonizes. It's the same rhetoric that that's been going on for the last couple of years, but mm -hmm. it's an attack on the synod. Um, I know you have some insight into into the organization. I don't know if you have anything to add or to the, the idea that they're doing this mass mailing campaign on the eve of the Synod to, I mean, I can only think that it's going, that their intention is to influence pastors so that when they preach about the Synod or when they think about the Synod or when they talk to parishioners about the Synod, mm -hmm. they will have this fear-based response. For this. Yeah. Well, I haven't read it, but it seems mm -hmm. like it's an extremely smart way to go about, um, as well, spreading the viewpoint, going with a Q&A format. And they've, they've always excelled. Um, at having a really good sense of marketing, fantastic sense of strategy. Um, so as you've pointed out in the past, this whole sense of we need to just deny them the oxygen and stop paying attention to them, it, it hasn't worked. You know, and I, I echo you on that one. It hasn't worked. It's just given them uh, privacy, I guess, to just forge ahead. And now we're seeing them all come out. And it's very annoying how they're setting the tone, especially online. They're setting the tone online for what it means to be uh, Catholic in the United States. Uh, hence and the I, Holy Father's attention now yeah, being focused on this. And I think that's that's one of the things that they're going for. They're, they're trying to use, well, what's wrong with promoting Catholic doctrine? Or are you saying that you're for this? You know, yeah. and and it's not it's not just TFP, but it's it's other organizations. It's just like. Bishop Strickland, who followed up his pastoral letter that we talked about last time with another pastoral letter mm -hmm. that went into, you know, more issues. It was, um, to me, it, it's, they get very defensive and they have strategies for fighting back. When I wrote about Scott Hahn, mm -hmm. I didn't use inflammatory language. I mean, you know where I'm coming from. You know that I am pro-Francis. 
If you're anti-Francis and you read that article that I wrote about Scott Hahn, you should understand, okay, this guy supports Pope Francis, so he's not on my side. I gave facts. And you should have been happy. Oh, Scott Hahn supports what I do, you know? But for some reason, the fact that I made public something that my guess is the people who criticized me probably already knew or suspected about Scott Hahn, mm-hmm. it, it strikes me as a tactic. People weren't linking back to me. They weren't naming me. They were just saying, Scott Hahn is this great holy Catholic who has never said insulting things about the Pope and this evil revolutionary leftist is is trying to destroy his reputation. Um, but I don't think I said anything that was unfair. I don't think I said anything that was untrue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and so it's interesting what they see as an attack and, and, and how they're able to defend their position. They uh, try to take this position of orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, if orthodoxy is following the magisterium, which is the Pope and the bishops in communion with him, they are not orthodox. They're heterodox, in some cases, heretical. And the fact that they're encouraging people to break from what the Pope is teaching and to ignore his authority, Mm -hmm. that's the road to schism. Um, And as we've discussed before, and as I've written before, Bishop Strickland, who's on board with this program, has redefined the term schism multiple times. He's supposedly a canon lawyer. He supposedly follows the catechism. And both of them teach that schism is a refusal to grant submission to the Roman pontiff. And yet every single time he talks about schism, he says the real schism is breaking with the deposit of faith or the real schism is opposing. And it's like, no, that's not the definition of schism has to do with the relationship between people. And from the Catholic point of view, it specifically has to do with your relationship with the Pope. You are a Catholic in good standing. You are in full communion with the Pope, but they're trying to use this fear-based series of attacks on the Pope. And I think that the, the end result is, unfortunately, it looks like we're headed towards schism. Anyway, so, speaking of people in a difficult spot, maintaining orthodoxy with the Holy Father, he, uh, the Holy Father has visited Mongolia and back. Can you share some of the highlights of this trip and the impact it had? Yeah, and I, just because of timing, we didn't really have a lot of time to talk about his trip to Mongolia, but it was the first time that a, that a Pope has ever set foot in the country. Um, where Peter is, we wrote a few articles or highlighted other articles uh, that we're talking about the very, very small Catholic community. Um, first of all, it's uh, it's a country that is that is vast and wide. It's landlocked. It's bordered by Russia in the north, China in the south. Um, they have more livestock than people. I think I heard they have 33 million livestock and 3.3 million people or something like that. And their Catholic community started in 1992 from nothing, no priests, no churches. And they have about 1,500 or less Catholics in the entire country. Now, from the perspective of Mongolia, which is um, their majority Buddhist, but it's if you look at the demographics, it's something like 51% Buddhist, 40% non-religious, and then it goes down from there. Um, 
but they are a peace-loving people. That was something that Pope Francis emphasized. They are looking to have their, um, to be known as a country separate from Russia, separate from China. Um, this visit Out of, of all Pope, the different countries, why visit Mongolia? Well, obviously Pope Francis goes to the peripheries. One thing that he, uh, that he said, he hasn't visited the, the great European capitals. He hasn't been to Paris. He hasn't been to London. He hasn't been to, to Berlin. He hasn't been, um, I mean, obviously he's in Rome. He hasn't been to Madrid. Wait. Yeah, no, I don't think he's been to Madrid. Obviously Lisbon was world youth day. Um, but he really wants to reach out to the peripheries. The head of the um, Mongolian church, he made a cardinal last year. He's a young Italian cardinal, but they, they're starting to have their own seminarians. They're starting to have their own um, vocations. Um, it's, a, you know, it's a small and committed church that's it's made up of, of converts to the Catholic faith. And one of the things that he emphasized, that Pope Francis has emphasized and the church has emphasized, is that they've come in and they've tried to improve the lives of the people in the communities um it's a uh, it's growth by attraction uh it's you know as opposed to proselytism it's what are these christians all about these christians did this thing that that impressed me um and they you know they just started a he inaugurated a mercy center i guess it's a, a catholic charities type institution um they they offer education but they aren't trying to to proselytize which impresses the Mongolians. And so they've had a, a little bit of success in their little bit of history. Um, and I think that this, this visit was definitely well-timed. Um, also sent a message to Russia and to, um, and to China. Um, mm -hmm. He actually called uh, Cardinal Tong, who, who's the Hong Kong emeritus Cardinal and, uh, and Bishop Stephen Chow, who uh, is the current Bishop of Hong Kong, who's going to be named a Cardinal along with uh, Archbishop Pierre, called them onto the onto the stage or onto, I guess, into the sanctuary at the end of the main mass and mm -hmm. introduced them and said, Catholics love, um, Catholics love China, Chinese Catholics love their country. This is something that um, Cardinal Tong in his writing has actually discussed a lot is that Catholics in China aren't looking to overthrow the country. They aren't looking to uh, violate their their Chinese culture. They want to be good Chinese citizens. They mm -hmm. just want to have the right to practice their faith. And I think it was a good um, good example of that. There were a number of Chinese Catholics who actually now none of the mainland bishops were allowed to go to Mongolia. That mm -hmm. at the last minute, a few I think were denied. Uh, okay. the permission to go, but there were some Chinese Catholics who went there and Chinese, uh, the Chinese government has gotten a lot better at computerized, uh, you know, face recognition technology. So mm -hmm. when they were at these events, they wore their COVID masks um, and took a great risk, I think, to, to, to go see the Pope, but they love the Pope. Wow. They, they're mm -hmm. Chinese. Um, they wanted to go. And, and so they did. And, um, uh, Gerard O'Connell, he did a very good podcast for Inside the Vatican with Colleen Dully talking about he actually met some of the Chinese Catholics and got their perspective. Um, so there were several hundred of them there. It, um, on the whole, I think everyone looks at the trip as a as a very successful uh, event. I mean, it was Wonderful. unique and it may be one of Francis's, you know, final long journeys. We'll see. Um, okay. As his, he's been using the wheelchair, obviously.
Mm-hmm. Well, for our last point today, talking about people taking risks and the ultimate risk, we have uh, an entire family beatified as martyrs. So on Saturday in a small village in Poland, the Vatican Cardinal um, beatified Joseph and Victoria Ulma and their children. They were murdered by the Nazis on March 24th, 1944, and they were hiding eight Jews in their home. Has an entire family ever been beatified before? No, and this is something that is um, very unique. I, so I was, I was before the show, I was scrambling to try to get as much background as I could, and it seemed that there was a there's a large group of um, of Catholics from Poland who were murdered by the Nazis for heroic acts like hiding Jews or um, working to help human dignity. And this particular family, uh, the Ulmas, was um, pulled out of that group. They're going to have their own cause, was okay. was the idea. And um, this is sort of unprecedented because if you look, and I, I think we have a picture of the family. The father was a big um, photographer. And, yeah, I can pull it up. Yeah. And um, so this is a picture of the... Um, six older children but as you can see they are small children with um with victoria with the wife and um you know young beautiful family farmers small village mm-hmm. um basically they um you know the kids were baptized but they were before the age of reason a lot of them probably and um so the idea that they would be beatified as martyrs which to be, if you're a martyr, you you don't require that one um, miracle that you would otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it, it is a very unprecedented thing, but I think it's it speaks to um, our salvation isn't just individual in the Catholic mm-hmm. Church. It's it's also communal. The importance of the family is something that John Paul II obviously emphasized and being from Poland, I don't know if there's any, any connection there. Um, You know, it's only in the last couple of decades that married couples have been beatified or um, canonized together. So, so this is quite significant. Yeah. And then, so in addition to the parents and then the six older children, the Pope decided to beatify their youngest child who appears to have been still in the womb or born prematurely at the time of his mother's martyrdom. What's the significance of this? Yeah, so I I, I saw conflicting reports, and I know that Paul Fahey and um, Nathan Tarowski saw some uh, articles saying that basically at the time of her martyrdom, she was seven months pregnant, Victoria gave birth to this baby. So I believe it was not, the, the baby was born outside of the womb, but there was obviously no opportunity to baptize this child. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that we've discussed before, the whole idea of where do unbaptized babies go when they die. And there, there was this whole theory of the limbo of infants and, um, you know, not the possibility of salvation. And this beatification, now, the um, I believe that the Congregation for Causes of the Saints said that either baptism of blood because of martyrdom or baptism of desire by the parents' desire to have the baby baptized uh, would fulfill that necessity. Although if you talk to some traditionalists, because they aren't of the age of reason, that you know, that sort of 
baptism of desire by by proxies wouldn't count. Mm -hmm. um, this, however, is a strong affirmation in an official act by the church. Yeah, how sort she of thinks about all of this. How how the church thinks about all this, where where the yeah. church's thinking has gone, if this results in canonization of the family mm -hmm. and canonization is considered an infallible act. Yeah. Um, this would be an infallible statement about an unbaptized baby mm -hmm. being in, being saved, being in heaven, mm -hmm. which would be, I think it would be a pretty big deal. Um, especially since there, there are Dominican priests out there who say that it's dogma that <laughs> unbaptized babies yeah. go to limbo, which is, on the outer rim of hell. Um, mm. And obviously the Catholic church has been moving away from this, but to me, mm -hmm. this strikes me as um, sort of a, a little clever, like, no, we are, we are moving more towards the idea of an all loving, all merciful God who wants, who wants all of us to be saved. Yeah. Um, and you can't be condemned on a technicality. Beautiful. So there's, he had, uh, the Holy Father had something beautiful to say about the family. Can you share that quote with us? Yeah. So he just, at his, um, at his Angelus yesterday, he, he spoke about them saying they opposed the hatred and violence that characterized that time with evangelical love. May this Polish family, which represents a ray of light in the darkness of the second world war be for all of us, a model to imitate in the zeal for goodness and the service to those in need. A round of applause for this family of blesseds. Um, and then he said, and following their example, let us hear the call to oppose the force of weapons with that charity, the rhetoric of violence with the tenacity of prayer. Let us do so above all for the many countries that are suffering due to war. In a special way, let us intensify our prayer for beleaguered Ukraine. There are the flags there of Ukraine, he pointed to them, which is suffering so, so much. Um, and also, I don't know if we we clearly gave the um, the narrative and we'll link to it, but it basically, this was a town where all the Jews were, were rounded up and those who wound up surviving the war were the ones that were hidden by villagers. And this family for, I believe, two years kept eight, you know, I guess two Jewish wow. families hid eight eight Jews in their house, mm -hmm. and sadly they were uh, somebody turned them in. Nazis rounded them up. They murdered the Jews inside the Jewish family inside the house, and then um, murdered the parents in front of the children, and then and then murdered the children. So, um, you know, obviously a, a lot of suffering, and and we need to recognize all of that. Mm -hmm. I think that this uh, and the chief rabbi of Poland attended the beatification mm -hmm. as an official part of the ceremony. And I think, mm -hmm. and they've been um, named in the past as righteous Gentiles. So mm -hmm. I think that this moment there, it speaks to a lot of things. I think it speaks to the value of the family. It mm -hmm. speaks against intolerance and anti-Semitism, and, mm -hmm. um, and also it recognizes the dignity and the eternal life of those who are uh, of innocence, like that child, like all of their children, really. Um, yeah. And so I think and then also speaking of innocence and suffering today being 9-11. So we also uh, remember and offer up all those who have lost their lives, especially on this it's a significant day for our country in the United States. 
So any uh, closing thoughts on that front? Line? Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. It's been it's been 22 years. And uh, wow, I think it's been, um, I believe I was 21 when it happened. No, I, I had just turned 22 when it happened. So I, half of my life was before 9-11 and half of my life was after. So that it, that's an interesting, I guess most of your life has been in a post 9-11 world. But, yeah. you know, so many things have changed. Um, a couple of years ago, we published... Um, an article by Deacon Greg Kandra, who uh, is a, he's a popular blogger and the Deacon's Bench has been a popular blog for 10 or 15 years. Um, his, he underwent an entire conversion process. Um, and so we had him, he was a, he was a CBS producer in Manhattan on 9-11 and it led his journey of deepening his faith and becoming a deacon and he wrote a remembrance for us on the 20th anniversary. So we've been sharing that on social media and it'll be in the show notes. So um, wonderful. if you want to reflect and it's a very prayerful reflection, um, that would be a good thing to read. Thank you. Thanks for everything today, Mike. Uh, links as always, friends are available in the description. Uh, this conversation is brought to you by smartcatholics.com. It's the free online community for millennials, creators, and learners. Join the private Where Peter Is group to ask questions, share insights, and suggest topics for next time. And visit wherepeteris.com to read articles, commentaries, and spiritual reflections by and for faithful Catholics who support the mission and vision of Pope Francis. And like we said earlier, this is what happens when two volunteers get together to try and track the news and the coverage in the church. So we can't do it without your support. Please consider becoming a Patreon supporter for Where Peter Is to help us continue and especially help Mike continue to bring you this show. So, And, and we've just uh, filed as a 501c3 nonprofit. So there will be more information forthcoming. But starting, I guess, now, the... Uh, the donations can be uh, tax deductible through Patreon. I know we've got that lined up and, and we'll have other ways to do that. So thank you very much. Please consider supporting where Peter is, friends. Thanks again for joining us. And when it comes to news and controversies in the Catholic Church, stay curious, informed, and engaged. God bless. God bless.